0: You must remember that the Bible was not written with headings and verses and chapters, and it was letters that was written. And I think we just called it something. But I want to start off by saying, I want to call this the disciples' prayer rather than the Lord's prayer. I don't think Jesus needed to pray and ask for forgiveness of his sins because he never sinned. So uh, it's the disciples' prayer. And Jesus teaches this to disciples, to, to each one of us that follow him. So let's read as we pick up and end. This week we'll start and over the course of three weeks we will finish it off. But let's start with uh, tonight. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Okay. Now, I'm sure as a young child, most of you were taught this. Most of you could recite this. Most of you went to a school where they most probably prayed it. I remember the only prayer that was prayed in the army was this prayer there was no other prayers, you know. We begged for bread every day, pretty much. We did ask for it and forgive forgive us. <laughs> Lord says, and lead us not into evil. We didn't want to run anymore, you know, when the corporal said run. So that was a great prayer. But I want to tell you something This by, by starting off. What? Is prayer. And I'm going to use this most probably as an intro to every single one of them so that I can teach you what prayer really is. Prayer is this if you're making notes, prayer is weakness leaning on omnipotence. That is what prayer is. In other words, I'll break it down for you. Prayer is me saying, Jesus, I am weak and I'm jumping onto everything who you are. You are almighty. And that is how Jesus is teaching his disciples, and that's how you ought to pray. You see this this prayer that Jesus um, that he taught is not to all men but to his disciples. He's not teaching this to the whole crowd. He's teaching his disciples. And it is a prayer adapted only to those who are the possessors of grace. Because you can't call him father. That's one of the things we're going to see now. Unless he is your father. Unless he's adopted you into his family. And I think a lot of people pray this and I've seen this in the inauguration in America. They, they pray this prayer and, and I'm wondering, guys, do you even understand what you're saying? Because he's given it to us that possess to be and profess to be his disciples and his children. In the lips of an ungodly man, It is entirely out of place, Charles Spurgeon said. In the lips of an ungodly man, it is entirely out of place. So about the word prayer, he starts and he says this, pray like this. It comes from the word ukumai, which means really to face towards, um, emphasizing the direct approach of the one who prays in seeking God's face. That's what prayer is, is I'm seeking God's face. I want to I talk to Him. There's an audience of one when I come before Him. That is what prayer is. No matter where you are, no matter if you're standing in the shower or you're driving your kids to, the, to school or you're going to work, then you can have this moment where you turn your face towards him and you pray and you speak and you commune with him. That's what prayer is. It's a loud utterance, a speaking out, a speaking towards. It expresses a wish then to pray or to vow, in other words. This this is what this word means in the Greek The technical term for this was to invoke a deity. So in the New Testament, it is always used of prayer addressed to God, to Him as the object of faith and the one who will answer our prayers. So it's always used in that context when we pray. Jesus starts off and He says, when you pray, pray like this. Pray in this manner. So what is prayer is, I direct all my attention to him. It's me being weak. Weakness. Leaning on omnipotence. And say, so you are holy. It means to speak consciously. With or without vocalization to him. It's a, it's a definite aim. It's not like just Aimlessly. He says, it's not like a boxer that's just beating in the air. You, you, you aim at something. The aim is Jesus. The aim is always God. The aim is always directed at Him. That's what prayer is. And the tense that it is written in here, pray then like this. It's not in the past tense. But it is written in the present continuous tense. In other words, it means it's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. Prayer is not something that I just do when I'm in in trouble. Prayer is not a a, a little lamp that I rub and a genie pops out. Prayer is not putting in my 50 cents and pulling the one on bandit and hoping I'm going to win something. Prayer is Relationship. Prayer is relationship, and I'll I'll show you tonight the foundation of this prayer is all about relationship with Him. So I have a question for you, and I'm going to ask during the course of this series a few questions. Is prayer easy? Is prayer easy? Is prayer easy? It's a discipline. It's hard. It's not always easy. Hey, there might be many reasons why prayer is not easy, or for some people, it is easy. I'm asking this question tonight Do most of us find ourselves praying without ceasing, as called for in this model prayer? In other words, don't stop praying. That's what the Bible tells us to do. Pray continuously. And that's why this word is written in the present continuous tense. Are you continuously praying? Continuously having conversations with the one that you love? Continuously just casting yourself upon him and say, I don't know. I really don't know. I don't know. And let God be God in your situation in your children's lives, in your work situation, whatever it might be, say, Lord, I don't know, but you know. Just something I need you to note is that this word prayer here, it encompasses all the aspects of prayer. There's different aspects of prayer. I don't have time to break down all the aspects of prayer, but there's, there is submission where you come humbly and you submit yourself to him that's one part of prayer there is confession lord i have sinned forgive me my sins lord you know and you don't do that on a friday you do that every day okay petition petitioning god it's part of prayer supplication it may concern your own need But it's also sometimes for somebody else's need. The word supplication is so beautiful. In Philippians, I don't have that verse now. I think it's in Philippians 4. It says, come with prayer and supplication. He says, and thanksgiving in your heart. But supplication is begging God. When was the last time you begged God? That's a supplication. For someone else or maybe for yourself. Supplication. Intercession, who knows what that is. Intercession concerning the needs of someone else. You stand in a gap and interceding on their behalf. And praise and thanksgiving. Those are the aspects of prayer. But this word that he's using when Jesus is saying, Pray like this, he says, Do all that stuff. This is how you pray, with all those things. Now, do you see all those things in that ver in, in that in those few verses in those Four or five verses. You must probably see that because you do pray for your enemies, you pray for yourself, you confess, you do all those things in this prayer. In this way, or like this, in this manner. What does this phrase actually imply? If we unpack that, we're in verse 9. We're still there. We must probably we're only gonna be in verse 9 tonight, okay? In this way. What does this, ver- this phrase imply? Note that Jesus did not say, when you pray, pray these exact words. He never said that. Never said, pray these words. And then I will come and I will heal your land and give you a future and a hope. And uh, no, yeah, no, no. He didn't say that. This prayer was never meant to be a ritualistic routine prayer. Never. For regular recital. You see what I did there? Who was the guy that noted alliteration? (laughs) Tian, was you? Tian, alliteration. For you. Yeah. It's not ritualistic, routine prayer for regular recital. There you go all the R's. but it's a guide for praying in this way or after this manner. it's a guide. he's giving you a guide. We are to use this prayer as a pattern, not as a substitute. okay So parents after the three weeks, Don't just let your kids pray this prayer. Teach them what this prayer means. Teach them the richness of this prayer. Tell them when they say, hallowed be your name. And it's not, oh father who shouts from heaven, hallowed what is your name? Okay, it's not that, like the little boy prayed. It's not that either. Hallowed be your name. Teach your children to, to, to revere God and actually have an awe of who God is. Jesus told his audience to pray in this way. And in the context of just having stated, it's not just meaningless repetition. So Jesus clearly is presenting a pattern for our prayers. Not the only words to use in that prayer. See, this prayer, the Lord's prayer, the disciples' prayer, was never intended to be used as repetitious petition, but as the guide to how his followers should pray. So let's get into this prayer. Let's start with this prayer. And we see the first thing that we see there is our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So the first part, I want to break that up. I'm really going to break it open for you. Every word, word by word, line by line. Our, our, note this is a plural pronoun. Okay, with in the class. What does that mean? It includes everybody, it's not just my father who, who are in heaven, it's yours and yours and yours. It's our father. We pray together. This, this does signify a little bit about our collectiveness and you'll see that in fact there are no singular pronouns in the whole of this prayer. Not once. It's easy to pray for yourself, but we don't always understand the corporateness of when we pray and come together. There's something about corporate prayer. It's great to pray. Jesus says, when you pray, don't be like the Pharisees. Go into your room, shut the door, pray. But there is also that corporateness where he calls the assembly. Ecclesia, the called out ones. The word Ecclesia means church. But in the, in the Old Testament, it was beautiful. They announced all the Israelites to come together once a year. Or for a big thing, they needed to come and pray. They needed to come and worship. The Ecclesia, the called out ones. Our. We are to remember others as well as ourselves. Don't be selfish in your prayer. Others take this plural, no noun to be a call, sometimes like I just said, for corporate prayer in addition to individual prayer. Okay, so, but I see it. I see the us, us together praying. That's why when we as elders call corporate prayers, it's not just to like, oh, we've got to get back together again and, you know, another meeting. It's not just another, it's an opportunity to call upon our Father. It's an opportunity for each one of us to come together. Is that good? You guys good? With me? Father, a while back I preached a sermon on Abba Father. And this, this is pretty much in there. But he is the, the begetter, the janitor, by whom another is begotten. Father, it's with Pater. Where's, um, where's Ben? Where's Ben? Is he not here? Does Ben. Ben can pray this in Latin, apparently. I've heard him. Should I call Ben and ask him to come and pray this in Latin? (laughs) Ben told us the story. Please tell them the story, Ben, why you had to pray this in Latin.
1: (laughs) I don't have the words for you. Um, So I went to an all-boys boarding school, an all-traditional school, and every assembly you had to pray the Lord's Prayer in Latin. So it was 1,200 kids. So every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, you'd pray the Lord's Prayer in Latin. Um, but the, yeah, there's a bit of an extra. So when I was in matric, um, my parents bought the school tractor batteries. so I became a prefect. <laughs> no, I'm teasing. Anyway, and before school, we'd go as prefects have to do the, uh, the reading um, for assembly. And you'd go to the secretary and they'd give you the the, the prayer. Well, not the prayer, the, the reading you had to do. And one of my mates took the reading out of my blazer pocket. And he tipexed out every third word. <laughs> so after that, I had to make sure I knew the Lord's Prayer very well. Because that was the only thing that saved me in front of the thing. But anyway, so... It goes part hey, of Nosta quasim Kylie sanctificato tuum, et vegni rnumtum feat fullentus tua secet and terror de nobis <laughs> had de bit nobis, de bit nostra secret nostibus notorious Amen.
0: Ben you saw your cell phone. Ben brought notes. <laughs> that's, amazing. that's a main that's a free cover of of a pen. Anybody else want to try that? Father, stated more simply this word pater, and he used that paternoster. We're actually wondering if the the town paternoster is named after this, but I think it might be. I think it might be. A man who has begotten a child, a father is the progenitor, the ancestor in the direct line, a forefather. This is this word that is used here. So, Vines writes this, and it says that parter is from the root word signifying a nourisher, a protector, and an upholder. I'm going to say that again. A nourisher. So, when you pray, "Our oh Father, you're saying you are my nourisher, you are my protector, and you are my upholder. It's beautiful, eh? It's beautiful. So, one thing that I've noted is by drawing attention to God, our Father, Jesus first calls us to recognize the God centeredness of prayer. The God centeredness of prayer. It's all about Him. We start off too quickly with our little list. Lord, I need this, I need this, I need this. Lord, you see, uh, Lord, Lord, I, I brought it all before you now, Lord, now it's yours. I want to say to you, start. And linger a little bit longer with the nourisher and the upholder of your faith. Stay a little bit longer and tell him how beautiful he is. Stay a little bit longer and tell him that he is amazing. He's the one. And Jesus is teaching us as disciples tonight. Each one of us, start with him. Start your prayer with him. The God-centeredness of your prayer. An actual fact, of all of life. Jesus himself addressed God as only as father, some 60 times in the gospel. That's what Jesus referred to him as father. Never referring to him by any other name. Virtually all of Jesus' prayers were addressed to God as father, except in Matthew 27, 46. It's the only time he's not calling him father. Matthew 27, verse 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The only time that Jesus doesn't call him father. Only time. Sixty times in the gospels, Jesus refers to him as father. There's something in that that we call upon Him as Father. So in the New Testament believer, as a New Testament believer, you can know God as your Father with even greater clarity than anything that is in the Old Testament. They couldn't enjoy this, this aspect of Him that we, they that we could call Him Father. Thus it follows that this Praying proceeds from a childlike trust as expressed in the addressing of God as our father. In other words, we come to him as little children. We say to him, you're my father. You're my upholder. You're my nourisher. I need you. If Jesus only taught this, if only this, this would be enough. I want to tell you. This would be enough to pray for eternity. A.W. Tozer said something like this. He says, he's done so much for me that in prayer I can just come before him. I will have hundreds of thousands of millennia and I couldn't repay him for the things that he has done for me. All that Jesus has done for me on the cross through the Father. God so loved this world question does the truth of God as your father undergird your life with father in other words with nourisher and upholder and protector as well as in your prayer life is God all that to you it's my question tonight the second thing I noted is addressing God as father indicates he is personal he's not You know, there was a song in the 80s, from a distance, God is watching from a distance. No, he's God with us. In the Old Testament, he was God for us. In the New Testament, Jesus came and he's called Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus goes away and he says, I'll send the help of the Holy Spirit. He will be God in you. How much better is that? How much closer can you get than having God within you? You're not a God, please. But the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in your mortal body, the Bible says. That's how close he is. Philippians says, The Lord is at hand. So anything that you can touch right now is at hand. That's how close Jesus is. At hand. The fact is, he is our Father. Establishes the family relationship. He cares for us, and only believers can call him Father. One, John chapter one, verse twelve to thirteen. If we can read that quickly, but to all who did receive him, who believed, you see, you need to receive and believe. That's how you become a Christian. Believe in your heart that Christ is, and confess with your mouth. Romans chapter ten says, ten nine says, or nineteen says. One of those. He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That's who we are. Children. Children. He cares for us as a father would care. The third thing that I noticed is father who is in heaven is used most often by Matthew and reminds us of the unmatched, unequaled nature of God. In other words, he exceeds the usual limits. It's extending or lying beyond the limits of an ordinary experience. There's another, I know a Latin word, ultra." It means God is the limit. You cannot go higher than that. And that's why we need to start taking thoughts captive that wants to exalt itself above the knowledge of Jesus, man. And bring those things down and and acknowledge Him as Father. Because He cares. He's in heaven. So, our Father who is in heaven is other, He's different. From his creation, he's independent, he's different from his creatures. Isaiah 55, verse eight to 9, says this: "For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways um, your ways, my ways," declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts." It's beyond his creation. He's not limited by creation. Or to creation. He's above it. I've said it so many times. If there's one molecule out of place tonight, we would all be dead. He upholds everything by the word of his mouth. This is the same God that says he has engraved your name on His palm of his hand. The same hand that upholds the universe. Think about that. And I hope that tonight... That this, our Father who are in heaven, hallowed be your name, will mean something totally different to you. Totally different. Our unmatched God is also the omnipresent God. And is never further than a prayer away. Never. So, the question you might ask is, can anyone pray this prayer? And the answer is no, not really. In other words, the disciples' prayer is a family prayer. It is one that must, you one must be a member of the family of God to be able to address him as father. He is father only to those who are his children, as we saw in John chapter 1, his sons and his daughters. Let's read Romans chapter 8 quickly. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. It's one of those verses I used in the previous preach. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him. You see, provided, there's a proviso to this. We're going to suffer with him. We will reign with him. But People don't want to read the second part, you know, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We all want to be glorified, but we're going to have to first suffer before we get glorified. Let's move on quickly. hallow it, hallow it and that's it's basically where I'm going to land tonight. It's the word hagios. And you know, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I preached on holiness. And that's the word holiness. Hagios. Otherness. To be set apart. Sanctified. Means treated as holy. Dedicated. Consecrated, set apart. It means to set apart for God, to sanctify, to make a person or thing um, like in the older days. It was the altars, the priests, and stuff to set them apart. What we are doing when we pray this phrase, "Hallowed be your name," is we are acknowledging God as holy. That's what we're saying. God, you are holy. God,
2: you are holy.
0: That's what you say when you say this phrase. You are different. You are unlike any other God. We are choosing to hold his name in reverence and thus to reverence, honor, glorify, and exalt him. This is like, this is worship, man. A more literal translation of this would be this. Let your name be kept holy. Holy. Let your name be kept holy. Or may your name be treated with reverence. That's what you can also say to him. May your name be kept holy, God. In God's name, is God's name truly being lifted up? It's my question. Through my worship, my speech, my beliefs concerning him, through a life I'm living right now, am I displaying him? So how important is it that we hallow or make God's name holy? And Jesus teaches that kingdom citizens are to recognize the greatness of God's name and to ascribe to him the glory due his name. Look at what Ezekiel prophesied against Israel in Ezekiel 36 verse 22 to 23. Therefore, says, says say this to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name. Okay. Which you have profaned amongst the nations to which you come. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which have been profaned amongst the nations and which you have profaned amongst them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. When the went through you, I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Because God is holy. I think we need to stop playing with the name of God. Martin Luther asked this question. He says, How is it that God's name, how is God's name hallowed amongst us? And the answer he came to was this when our life and our doctrine are truly Christian. In other words, when I live it. When I speak it, when I live it, that's when God's name is made holy. Hallowed be your name. Name is the proper name of a person or object. In our modern world, a name does not have the same significance as it did in the ancient times at all. In both the Old Testament and the New Testament, the name... um, Pretty much summed up the whole person. Jacob was a supplanter. That's what he did. He grabbed his brother's heel and each one of it, Israel, house of God. You know, there's there's all these things that signify the person. So it actually, the name was one's whole character. So when you say, hallowed be your name, you speak about God, all his characteristics, everything about him. The attributes of God. Everything. So the names of God. So when it says God is love, it's not just a title or or something. We're not just talking about him as as his titles. These are God's titles. No, 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 no. But also include all that by which he makes himself known and all that he shows himself to be. I would want to encourage you, and I know Wade also preached on the names of God, but go do a study on the names of God. It's very interesting the way that God revealed himself. I'm in in Exodus right now, and he says, tell them, I am sent you. I am. That's his name, I am. In biblical times, the name was was a means of self-revelation. In the ancient world, it was especially important to know the names of the deities in order to invoke their presence and obtain help from them. I remember being in Malaysia years ago, and um, I saw this, there's this temple, it's called the um, Batu Caves, where the Hindus come and worship. Now, Hindus worship 30 million gods. The chair you sit on could be a god. You could be a god if you knew how. So, Pretty much anything is a god. Sorry if you're a Hindu here tonight, but there's only one god. His name is Jesus. So that's it. So, so these Hindus would come, and they would have this parcel, and they want to go and make a sacrifice to a god, one of the 30 million. And I walked there, and it was quite sad because there's these scrawny dogs that just eat fruit and a lot of birds. So the one day, this guy comes with his packet of mangoes and bananas and whatever, and this monkey grabs it. And scoots off and sits in and eats it. So I could see the utter disdain in this guy's face because that was not the God that he wanted to appease today. So he literally just walked away and most probably had to go home to find, you know, more fruit to take it to the God that he really wanted to appease. Not the monkey God or the tree God or whatever God it is. But gods are known by their names. And you needed to know the names of that God. Imagine you have to remember 30 million gods. Yeah, I just have to remember his name. Just see his name. One of the most famous encounters is found in Exodus, when Moses was confronted by God at the burning bush. So let's read that quickly. Exodus chapter 3. I'm almost done, guys. Stick with me. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of our fa- your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? You know, what shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Verse 15. Next time. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Have you ever begun your prayer addressing God as I am? (laughs) Maybe we should. Because he says, that's my memorial name for all generations. If you approach God and say, I am, I am also you. (laughs) I am weak and I don't know. I'm leaning on you, I am, because this is who you said you are. Why should we study and be familiar with God's names, many names, We know in Exodus 20, it says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Now, this command means more than avoiding using God's name in profanity. But to actually use this in a common, not use this in a common manner. This is important because it speaks to the root sin of disbelieving. Denying or distorting the truth about his glorious being has manifest in, in part through his name. In other words, the opposite of profaning God's name is hallowing his name. That's what he says we must do Yeah, It means that those who are in relationship with him must honor or make his name holy in the way that they live. And for citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we are called to be lights In the way we live, salt and light, he calls us. In so doing, we give the unbelieving world a proper opinion of our Father who are in heaven. Proverbs 18, verse 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. In 2018, I'm standing in this graveyard in in Ireland on an outreach there. And there is a 1,200-year-old Tower standing there where some of the priests came and they built. And actually, in actual fact, Saint Peter—he is now Saint Paul. Saint Paul, not Saint Peter. Saint Paul. Who was the first guy that went to Ireland? Paul. Saint Paul. Saint Patrick. Thank you. How did I get that wrong? <laughs> I mean, they all called Paddy. Saint Paddy. Saint Patrick. Saint Patrick's. There's a cross where he is buried there, right there in this graveyard. And there's this tower it has been standing there for 1,200 years. And I have this moment with the Lord. And I just realized these priests would run into this tower when the Vikings would come in and attack them. And they would, they would win. And, uh, and the Lord says, that's me. I'm a strong tower. You can run into me. And for 1,200 years, that tower has been standing there. And, and it's defended the people of God. That's who he is. The Lord's name. Is a strong tower. So, in closing, we don't just speak his name with our lips, but we are called to live in the light of the truth of his name. Believers are royal priesthood. We are to represent his name by walking in the manner worthy of the calling, as Ephesians 4 tells us. When we say, Hallowed be your name, we are praying, May the whole of my life be a source of delight. To you, and may it be an honor to the name which I bear. I bear that name, which is your name. Hallowed be your name. It is the same thing we find in the prayer of David in Psalm 19. And he says this, May you can put it up. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. My strength and my redeemer. That is praying. Hallowed be your name. Father, not only do I know that there are areas in my life, maybe tonight you want to pray that, where your name is not hallowed, but I know also that only you can hallow them. You can only set apart those areas in my life. Only you can do that, Lord. And I'm quite willing to simply surrender tonight and let you be holy and be first in my life. The man who lets God be his Lord and surrenders to him is drawn quite spontaneously into a great learning process and becomes a different person. Martin Luther said this You do not command a stone which is lying in the sun to be warm, it will be warm all by itself. Can I say that again? You don't command a stone which is lying in the sun. To be warm. It will be warm by itself. Let's enter in tonight. Let's close our eyes quickly. Let's enter in and surrender to him. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Set apart is your name. Lord, and I bear that name because I'm a child of God. And maybe you're sitting here tonight and I know the The call has gone out for some people, but I I really feel after this preaching, hearing this, for the first time, maybe your eyes have opened and you realize I'm not a child of God. You maybe have even prayed this prayer in moments where where things have been difficult in your life. But I want you to know that you can call upon him tonight, and he is able to save. Bible says to the utmost. Completely. God wants to come and save you tonight. God sent his son Jesus because he loved this world so much. He sent his only son. He sent the best for you. So maybe you're sitting here tonight and you've not surrendered your life, your heart, everything to Jesus. I would want you to put up your hand tonight if you're here. And that call is pulling at your heart, tugging at your heart. Maybe your palms are a bit sweating, your heart's beating in your chest right now. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And you know you've not surrendered your life. I would love to pray with you. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. Is there anybody here that says that's me? I want to call him Father. When I walk out this place, I want to call him Father. Anybody? Just slip up your hand so I can see. There's somebody in the back there. That's good. Thank you. Somebody there, sitting there, in the back against the wall. Thank you. You guys can pray with them. Father, thank you. Hallowed be your name, Lord. Your kingdom come. Your will be done, Lord. Jesus. Continue to teach us how to pray. <laughs> because we don't always know, Lord. We don't know what we don't know. But Lord, tonight we can come and run into the arms of a loving Father. Each one of us. You can bring all the stuff of your life. You can bring it before Him. Right now. Call upon His name. faster guys... To sing a song where we're going to say, Your name is holy, Lord. Holy, holy, holy. That's your prayer tonight. To say to Him, You are worthy. Lord, Your name is above all names. Maybe stand with me. Stand with me. To Jesus. Thank you for this. Thank you for this moment. Stay in this moment. Let's linger a little bit longer and focus on his name. (laughs) Let's not get all jittery. You see, something about prayer is that we stay with him. We focus on him. That's what we're going to do. An aspect of prayer is worship and praise and thanksgiving. Maybe in your heart right now, just say thank you. I've, I've learned in the last while to just say a lot of thank yous to Jesus. Maybe just tonight say thank you. Just say thank you to Him in your heart. You know what? The mere fact that you're standing here tonight is a miracle. Your next breath is a miracle. Everything. Think about those things. Say thank you to Him for that. Thank you that you live in Muscle Bay. It's a beautiful place rest of South Africa wants to come stay here. you living here? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your grace, Lord.
2: Uh-huh. you mm-hmm. Where Are you Lord?